From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 104. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined, and I really am joined this week, by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Well, hello. Good morning, all. You made it. I made it. My computer feels like it's limping here a little bit, but I think it'll be okay. And uh, you were also a little bit poorly last week, so uh, I was, yeah. Enjoying this. It didn't quite happen, did it? No, no. I just, I was just not good last week, but uh, a lot better today. That's cool. Great to have you back. And uh, hello, Thank Perry. You. Hello. Welcome back. And uh, so you, you're <laughs> welcome back. You were here last time, anyway, weren't you? Yes, I was. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, first off, because we've got a lot to lot to get through today. Um, so the first off, I just want to say thank you to Ethan Moses for sharing this briefcase or uh, hold all or trunk of lenses uh, with us last week. It was it was great having you on the show and uh, just just going through those lenses and also you know letting you know what lens. I'm talking to you now, Ethan. Just letting you know what lenses you actually have uh, because you were a little bit uncertain of of a few of them there. So uh, glad we held you out on that, Ethan. Um, okay, well, let's head... Oh, 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 oh yes. on that note, just two... I got to issue two quick corrections uh, oh, nice. from last week's episode. Because after we finished recording, Ethan sent pictures of a bunch of his lenses that he talked about. And we spent a lot of time talking about the version 4 35 Simicron, but the one that he actually has is the version 3 uh, from the picture. And also, uh, I spent a good amount of time disagreeing with him on the degree of shittiness of the 92.8 tele elmeret thin because he claimed to have the thin one but no he has the fat one which is the good one so that's why he liked that lens because he doesn't have the crap one <laughs> that's all that's all good um well perry you've you've been very busy this week um including pod tarting uh elsewhere so let's let, tell us a bit more about what you've been up to oh yo it's been a big week since we last recorded Britain was still in the European Union, right? <laughs> Trump was having his friendly little trial, and we were not in a zombie apocalypse in Hong Kong. Uh, and we now are in a zombie apocalypse in Hong Kong. So I have a new shooting subject, which has gone from riot police beating the crap out of protesters to just literally every single person in the city going around with a mask. Uh, and it is both ironic, given the mask ban, and very interesting photographically, because... People's faces look really different when there's this big white thing blocking off the bottom half of it, you know. Uh, but that aside, uh, breaking news aside, um, yeah, I've been on. I've been uh, doing a couple things. I was on Sunny Sixteen uh, last week, and if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, we spent a good hour and a bit, much shorter than this podcast, talking about street photography. Uh, and getting beyond that question of how do I stop being afraid of people, which I find annoying because so many conversations start and end there. Uh, so thanks and shout outs to Graham and Aid for having me on. Rachel was actually there at the very, very beginning when we started recording, but she wasn't feeling that well. So she went and had an early night uh, because they recorded a little bit later than usual. And uh, the reason for that is because it was 5 a.m. in Hong Kong. Well, it was. I've I've listened to the show, and it was it was a good listen. So as as we pretty much would expect it to be, to be fair. Um, so uh, if anybody hasn't listened to it, head over to Sunday Sixteen podcast. And uh, do you know what show number it is? 
187, I believe. There you go. It's only last week's show anyway. I think um, you want to come out every Thursday. So, uh, so it's still current as well. That's correct. And thanks to you guys for sending in your wonderfully thought out question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a tradition, isn't it now? It is. <laughs> the, 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 what, what made me laugh um, was uh, Graham was, was slightly, I, I think Graham was in two minds whether to do, the, do our questions or not. Um, but he did so fair fair play to Graham and then he decided oh I've done enough of these questions and there's one more question I'm not going to ask you and it's got something to do with pixel peeping and and that was as much as he needed to say and you <laughs> <laughs> you knew exactly what where that question was going and gave gave the answer anyway yep that's right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you know, it, it was it was it was a really good conversation because Aid is just starting to get into street photography. Like your your questions aside, um, and that was a nice perspective to uh, come at it from. Yeah, I won't give away any other spoilers. So aside from being on Sunny Sixteen, uh, I have been shooting over the Chinese New Year break, which has now been pretty much extended for another month in Hong Kong because we are under. Lockdown schools are shut until March second, uh, and basically, yeah, we're city shut down again. Um, I was shooting with my Agfa Record Three because I wanted a couple of rolls of black and white six by nines so that I can eventually contact print them when I can find a red darkroom light for my bathroom, and uh, those came out really well. I did. I did for the first time what Cheyenne Morrison calls the big shot shuffle, uh, where you preset the distance on the aperture and the rangefinder and just move yourself back and forth. And yeah, the images came out really nice. I shot pretty much all of them at around f11. So there was still quite a bit of nice shallow depth of field. And, you know, the thing with this Solinar lens is it's supposed to be the nicest one. And there were so many times when I just wanted to crank that thing wide open and take a few shots to see what it looked like. But thankfully, my common sense got the better of me because each time I was like, no, this is just going to look worse. Either I'm going to totally miss the focus or the lens is going to be soft or even if it's sharp, the depth of field is going to be so shallow that what's the point, right? So F11, (laughs) shallow depth of field. They came out great. I'm really happy with the results and the tonality. Uh, so I can't wait to actually try and contact with them. I just need a damn darkroom light. I, you can't find a darkroom light in Hong Kong? Well, I, ha- I haven't even looked. A, even a party store will have a red light. I haven't, I haven't actually looked. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, the m- most of the shops here are closed over Chinese New Year. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I asked Mike Epstein where he got his from because he has an Intrepid and Larger at home, and he's just been sort of messing around with it there. And he got his off eBay. But the darkroom that I go to in Hong Kong, they just use regular lights with like red cellophane taped all over them. Yeah. And right. the guy who runs that darkroom used to be head of quality control for Kodak uh, here in <laughs> Hong Kong. So I, if he says it's fine, then I trust him that it's fine. And it, it yeah. hasn't had any detrimental <laughs> impact on the actual images. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I can get away with just using my development chemicals. Because I don't want to buy special, like, paper developer. Uh, so I'm just looking into whether I can use, you know, HC-110. And it looks like that's totally fine, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 
don't know. I mean, I know people have done it with Rodinol, but I'm not sure what HG one done. Yeah, I mean, it's got it's got instructions for paper on the on the bottle. So oh, then you're then you're good. Yeah, I just I can't find any times online, so I'm gonna have to just experiment with it. Wait, no, what? You don't need to. Yeah, I don't need times. That. Nah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's all good. I mean, it, you could. It it's helpful to have a baseline time, you know, so that you can be consistent. But you can pretty much do it by inspection. I mean, you know, it shouldn't be ten minutes and it shouldn't be thirty seconds, somewhere right. in between. Yeah, we're looking <laughs> at like probably two minutes or so, right? Two minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the the main thing I was looking online was what dilution people use it at. And it seems like people just use a standard thirty-two to one dilution uh, for those who are using paper. I'm just just thinking that the standard time is, I would say, two minutes is is definitely on the long side, surely, um, for developing paper for for your first part of the development. That sounds to me when I've had two minute developments, that's because it's been uh, old developer and old paper. Um, I mean, I've had some things come through really really quickly, which is my experience. Well, I, the other way. I mean, I think the modern evil resin coated multi-grade papers develop really fast yeah yeah at the dark room we go to the owner pre-mixes the chemicals for us and it's about a 90 second development time yeah that's 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 normal that's normal. yeah and i'm using ilford multi-grade uh four so i'm just gonna use that as a baseline i was gonna say the, the other thing there is, is also just like how bright your enlarger is as well uh, well i'm making contact prints so oh of course yeah yeah um, it so it's, it's how matter. bright your bright your light sources then even with your contact prints as well because that, that will have an effect yes on it as well definitely but that's just going to be a case of trial and error yeah yeah um so apart from that i haven't done i mean i've been out shooting a bunch i've been using my canon 5l2 uh with that rico gr lens which the more I use that lens, you know, it's my favorite handling lens, I think, but it looks better on digital than film. And that's really, really irritating me uh, <laughs> these days. <laughs> and because when I, when I shoot it on film, it just doesn't look that sharp. And then I test it on my digital cameras and it looks totally fine. And I'm like, is this just because digital cameras make everything look sharper? Or is there <laughs> something about this lens that just isn't singing with, you know, either the films I'm using or the way I'm developing or whatnot, I don't know. Right. Well, that's just completely counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I, I was like, is there something wrong with my lens? Um, but but then I tried on digital, and it looks totally fine. So, I don't know. I, I get the sense with this lens that the subjects I shoot that are really close up look pretty good. But most of the time, when I'm shooting a street, the subjects are around five meters away. And it just doesn't seem like a great distance uh, for that lens on film. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that, make, that kind of makes sense. So yeah. it, it's and and when you when you say using it on film, are you using this with a, dig, a digital Leica or no? Digital Leicas don't shoot film. Oh, no, sorry. When you shoot digital with that lens, I mean, sorry. Uh, Leica on my M two forty and my Sony. Yeah, because I mean, the reason why I asked that question there was just in case there's something wrong with the the focusing cam on it or something and it isn't just isn't quite doing what it's meant to be doing so it's just throwing the focus slightly off whereas on your sony you wouldn't notice it no no no. the focus is fine and i'm shooting at like f8 to f11 for nice. all the shots so just it just has a different look huh it does i mean I, I used to have the um what's it called the leica 28 2.8 elmer at m 
And I didn't like that lens because it was too sharp, but it did, it, you know, I know what a really sharp 28 millimeter looks like on film. And this lens just doesn't seem to do it all that much. Yeah. Bizarre. It is more testing required. I haven't, I haven't figured out. I mean, I'm shooting Tri-X at 800, so it's not going to be super sharp anyway. But compared to the images I get off the Summicron, it's just it's noticeably less uh, defined. Mm. The tones are lovely, but and the focus is fine. But hey, I don't know. I, I, I don't believe this is the case, but I just wondered if it's similar to the issue that people sometimes have, and it's. I think this is. I don't think this is a settled um, debate um, or fact. Uh, how some lenses. Um, can't resolve the detail of a of, of certain sensors on a camera, um, so a, a lens can resolve, for instance, up to eighteen megapixels. But you've got a, a twenty four or thirty six or fifty megapixel camera, and because it's not resolving to the to the ability of the sensor, it actually smudges the image a little bit rather than giving you extra clarity. But that would be the other way around, right? Because well, what I'm getting exactly, is yeah, but doing yeah, it on yeah. film. I, I don't. I'm pretty sure Tri-X at 800 doesn't have the resolving power of a Sony A7R2. Yeah. No, I, I know, and but that's that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm well, I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying I'm I'm using one thing to prove the exact opposite in some ways, but that's what it feels like it's doing. But it just just seems odd. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, maybe I'm just expecting too much from the lens because it's. I don't know. So I will I will continue. I mean, I love the combo, so I'll continue investigating and see if I can make this thing look the way that I want it to look. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I was out shooting with my girlfriend the other day, um, and she was, of course, shooting the Konica Hexar RF with my 35 Summicron that she likes to hog. And uh, she did something that we talked about on Sunny 16, where Aiden and I had this little discussion about how you know, in the city, the space is designed for people to move around it in a certain way. And so things will repeat themselves. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were at a ferry pier not too far from my place at around 1.30 p.m. And there was a shot that my girlfriend really wanted to get, uh, but she she didn't quite get that shot. So she dragged us back there again at approximately the same time of day, a little bit later. And this time around, she got the shot. So we went. Uh, it happened again. She was waiting for the ferry attendant to go and stand in a doorway where they then grab the rope from the ferry as it as it docks um, so that they can then tie it to shore. So, you know, sure enough, he stood in the exact same place, uh, did the exact same thing, and, and she got the shot. And uh, she got that shot featured on Best Vintage Lens today, which she's very happy about as well. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it just speaks to that fact of street photography that, you know, cities repeat themselves every single day. So if you miss a shot or if you notice a particular kind of lighting that you find really striking and either you're just not ready or you don't have the uh, equipment that you want, just note the time of day and go back on a day with similar light and it's going to happen again. Yeah. I was going to say, awesome. to be fair, that, that, that pretty much applies with landscape as well. I mean, you, I mean, 
you're talking about yeah. city shooting there, but it's effectively landscape in, in the city, isn't it? So you'd you'd make sure that you if well, if you go to a location you think this will be brilliant, but the sun needs to be over there rather than where it is at the moment, then you'd, yeah. you again you make the note and you come back at the right time. It just tends to be that little bit more convenient if you're already living in the city rather than having to drive twenty miles to get to somewhere interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're you're totally right, especially when it comes to lighting. I, I'm talking also about just people moving around in a specific way. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that also tends to repeat itself. So, you know, if you're on your morning commute and you see people coming out of a subway in a particular way, uh, it's going to happen again at that same time of day. Yeah. I that a lot. I, I feel like I take the same 12 shots over and over and over and over again in, in Chicago. Uh, always, like, trying to get the exact right thing to happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it does, it's somewhat predictable. I mean, there's like, uh, there's a couple of places I go back to a lot. There's, um, the Palmer house, uh, hotel, which is about a block from central camera. And I'll, I'll go over there on my lunch all the time. And the, you know, there's the, the um, the guys who do the, uh, I they're not bellhops, but the guys that do the luggage and everything out front, mm-hmm. they're always kind of doing the same sort of thing. And they're just, they're always fun to shoot. So yeah yeah and you get into a rhythm of certain times of day right yeah um, exactly because like for me i'll often be out shooting and then at around 4 30 p.m uh the light is very sort of directional right so you get like long shadows and the light starts to become kind of golden and glowy and it'll make your lens flare if you're shooting backlit so i love shooting black and white uh, at those times and then half an hour later when the sun starts to dip below or an hour later when the sun starts to dip below the horizon, then it's like, oh, it's still o'clock now. And then you've got an hour to shoot that kind of right. twilight. It's, it's really fun. So yeah, that's pretty much all I have been up to. Um, and I think in the coming days and weeks, I'll just be out there photographing people with their masks on because, you know, living in interesting times. Yeah. Okay, well, let's head over to Chicago because, Johnny, you've been up to quite radical things lately. So, yeah, um, we I actually did something I don't really get to ever do anymore, which is take pictures yesterday because uh, it was sunny <laughs> for the first time in like I'm not even kidding for the first time in like a month, more than a month. It's just been gray every single day. So uh, I actually had sun or filtered sun basically all day yesterday. So I rode around on my bike in the ridiculous gale force headwinds and and and, uh and took a couple rolls of film um have you got have you got a basket just in front of your 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 handlebars that you put your camera in oh no i had it in my my i had my bag on the back i had my my bag i had my my little lightweight uh this isn't fitting the mental image I'm using at the moment. I'm just thinking about it as if like you're going around Amsterdam or something like that. Oh, yeah, like I got a Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah, everybody's just like that kind of thing. No, I was, I was everybody's, everybody's just like stopping and smiling as you as you ride past them, and you're just like you know oh, smiling Jesus, and no. winking back at them. Yeah, no, no, uh-uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It's more like let's see if we can ride this guy off the road. <laughs> that's more what it's like in Chicago. Let's see if this, we can take this guy out with a taxi or an Uber. That's, that's more what it's like in Chicago. Let, let's, uh, let's, let's run into a giant pothole and die. That's more what it's like in Chicago on a bike. <laughs> you guys have, it sounds like you guys have the 
a similar kind of driver cyclist animosity as they have in Toronto. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time, big time. I, I have literally been run off the road before and, Oof. and crashed into a pile because people just want to f- with you. So yes, that that's, it's the joys of biking in Chicago, which is why I have a U-lock handy and I have, uh, removed people's side view mirrors with my U-lock. <laughs> More than once. More than once. So, you know, comes around, goes around. Um, yeah, anyway, so I had sun yesterday, and I got to shoot uh, my two cameras that are my two new acquisitions for this year so far. Um, and one being the FT2, which I've gushed about already. Uh, the sand, the sand, the camera I got from Santa. Um, but th- I got another camera, guys, and uh, I'm a little excited about it. So I, uh-huh. I, I packed up a bunch of uh, equipment that uh, I wasn't using and took it to the shop and traded it for a camera that I've wanted for quite a while. So, um, I feel like we need a drum roll here. Yeah, I don't even know how to get it. So we're, we're having a Leica sale at, at the shop because we have like, I mean, we have a lot of Leicas right now. For whatever reason, all this stuff has been kind of coming in. We got an M6. We got an M4. We got an M4 too. We got an M2. We have like six M3s. And so we just have like all this stuff right now. It's really weird. Um, so the boss uh, put them on sale and there was an M3 there that I've kind of had my eye on. Well, I've been kind of ignoring it because I'm like, I don't have money for that. Um, but he put it on sale to a point where it's like, wow, that's like a normal price. That's like a real price. You know what I mean? Not a central camera, like a price. That's like a legit good deal price. Um, so we had a, we had an M3 1955 M3. So it's, it has uh, no, no preview self timer only. So it double stroke. So it's like the legit old school, like a M3. Um, and this particular camera, it's got some uh, vulcanite chips here and there, which I think if it had sat on a shelf unused, it would still have vulcanite chips on it. Cause that's just what these things do. Um, but everything on it is like incredibly clean. So like the rangefinder patch doesn't have any dust in it. Um, the rangefinder is not flary at all. It's just super clean. So I was like, dang, I, I need to get this thing. Uh, so I set it aside and I gathered up. Um, <laughs> I threw, I threw about 25 pounds of camera gear in my bag uh, and went in on Saturday and, and traded for it. And and he was, my, my boss was sort of like, I, I don't want to say it was a gift because I gave him a lot of stuff for it, but I think he was just being really nice. <laughs> because I I still owe him some more things in return, value wise, uh, for it, which I will take take into work tomorrow. But so yeah, anyway, I I brought home a Leica M3. Um, Whoa, yeah. So and this is the particular m- version of this camera. The only Leica I've really kind of had a crush on big time have been the M2 and the original. Uh, kind of the original setup of the M3, which is the double stroke, no preview. I just like how clean it is. And I like things that are kind of the original, you know, concept. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. that, and that's what this is. It's got the Buddha ears on the side and all that stuff. Um, so, so yeah. And I, I, I had bought one of these about two to about three years ago now. 
and there were some problems with it, so I returned it. And I've I've kind of wanted one ever since, and it was just an opportunity shouted in my face. <laughs> so I I went with it. And that it, it, is it, awesome. yeah, and it and it didn't cost me anything out of pocket. It just just you know, it's stuff that I already had that I was willing to to trade for. So. That's the best way to get a Leica too, to convert a bunch of non Leica things into a Leica rather than yeah. spending money on it. <laughs> that's kind of that's what I felt. That's how kind of how I was feeling too. So, um, so yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I I have to say, I mean, it's it it thing just feels great, and I, mm-hmm. it's I gotta say, it's these things are this thing is like it's ninety percent haptics. It's all hand. Hand feel <laughs> because I I have I don't need it it does not substantially do more than other cameras that I have at this point but it's just nice to use <laughs> and it's uh and it's just something I've I've wanted to be able to have uh, the ability to use for a long time if that makes sense so it's it mm-hmm. you know it doesn't take any better pictures than some of the other rangefinders I have, it's just a different platform for putting lenses on that feels nice. Um, and it does, it feels really nice. This thing is, it, it's, it's, uh, it feels amazing in the hand and it just, it handles beautifully. So, so the, there's a collector slash shop owner here named David Chan, uh, who's been featured on a number of YouTube videos and he, has so many Leicas, but the original double stroke he swears is is the best and his favorite. Really? Huh. Yeah. The double stroke M3. So yours is 1955 just like mine, but mine has the preview lever. Okay. Um so does that mean the first three letters of your serial number are in the seven hundred thousands? Uh let me slide the viewfinder off. Yeah. It's seven five two one sixty six. So that's proper, proper early. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's proper like first within first calendar 12, 12 months of production. Nice. So what's yeah, a, what's a preview window? No, the preview lever. Lever, sorry. Uh, you know the lever that you can preview the frame lines. Oh right, so I just thought it was some kind of a, adjustment. So you, if if it wasn't working correctly, you could move the lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's all. That's no, it's, it, it's so that it, let's say you you want your you, let's say you have a fifty millimeter lens on the camera and you want to see what a well in the case of an M three you want to see what yeah. a, a ninety is going to look like, right? You see, could see. Yeah, go on. Yeah, you could you could hold the lever and it will bring up the frame lines for the other lens so you don't have to change lenses just to see what you know what the view is going to look like with that lens so so what you're telling me is like her back in the in the 1950s weren't just um, getting ready for the influx of bad lens adapters in in the the no they they were you know if you if you had a let's say that you had a a 50 millimeter lens and you had you know like a 90 f4 elmar you could you could think, hey, I think I'm going to take a portrait. Why don't I see what that would look like with that lens on? And then you could change lenses, you know. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't have to change lenses to see in the viewfinder what you're, you know, what what you'd be seeing. You could do it with, you know, out without changing lenses. Yeah. So and I, that, I don't know. It seems weird to me still. I mean, I kind of like it's going to be obvious if you need to use one. Yeah. <laughs> but I get I don't know. I mean, I, that, that's, you know, I guess it makes sense. 
I, I think that thing is properly useful on any other Leica, but it's pretty useless on the M3. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, the 50mm frame lines are always visible. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah. if it, it right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel, too. Um, <laughs> I mean, Simon, your M2 has it, right? Yeah, it does, yeah. But I've, yeah. I, I've never used it. I was going to say, right? Yeah. You probably never have even ever even used it. Yeah. No. Oh, I've I've used I've used it recently. Yeah. Yeah. On my M4, I had the uh, Biogon. No, not Biogon. What is that? The Biotar, the fifty one four Biotar. Oh yeah. Um, and it was bringing up the wrong frame lines, uh, so I would have to push the preview lever to the fifty millimeter frame lines to get the proper framing. So I just started using that thing on my M3. Uh, yeah. Before I realized that it just had an LTM adapter screwed onto the back, and it was the wrong <laughs> one, so I just switched switch it out for the proper one, and it's perfect now. Okay, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So anyway, I just I I like how the M3s without the preview are a little less cluttered. Um, there's mm-hmm. you know it's it's just it's purely aesthetics, you know. I and I like the double stroke. I've always liked the double stroke. There's just, I don't know. I like how it feels. It's fun. There are a couple of cool things about the early ones as well. Um, the, yeah, I mean, the double stroke, we were talking about this before the episode, before we started recording, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the M- M4 feels nicer than the M6, uh, at least mine. And M2 feels nicer than my M4. And my M3 double stroke feels substantially better than my M2 as well. It's just mm-hmm. glorious. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And the early ones also, um, you know, the, the window where the viewfinder is? Yeah. It's more of a circle. So you can kind of tell that it's an early one uh, by obviously the serial number, but also by that. And then they tend to have two other features about them that are kind of unique, which is, number one, there's usually a bit more of a bluish tint to the viewfinder, which gives you a bit more contrast with the rangefinder patch. Right. That's true of this one. Yeah. Yeah, and then the uh, shutter speeds are marked in, like, under 250, it goes to 100, and then 50 and 25. Right, it's the old school scale, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Rather the, than 125, 60, 60 30, yeah, and 15. Yeah. Right, yeah, which, which, is, which which I like. I mean, so I my, my um, second camera I ever bought in my life <laughs> uh, was a Roloflex uh, 2.8C which I bought mm-hmm. in 1997, um, which was my upgrade from uh, the camera I had had since I was 15 years old, which was the Minolta X700. And I was like, I want to get a new camera. I didn't want to get medium format. And that was my upgrade camera from my Minolta. So, um, and I, I like that C because it's from like 1953. And it also has that old... Uh, the old school progression of the apertures that are the uh, shutter speeds. Oh yeah. Um, and I always, I always thought I always like, even back then I thought it would be cool to have an M three from about the same era that had the same progression. Cause it's like, I don't know. There's something about the cameras like right at that period from like 1952 to 55, six where a, a lot of like designs were starting to really get, modern if that makes sense mm-hmm. um like th- they were d- it was like a that's it's like an amazing era in camera design um and to me like the the 2.8 c and the 2.8 d well really the d is probably the last like really old school feeling roloflex 
And then the E and the F are, to me, they have a substantially different feel to them. Um, but the, the C and the D have a kind of an older school feel. And, I, and that's kind of why I always thought it would be neat to have a 2.8 C Roloflex and a Leica M3, a really early one. Because there, there's a kind of a similar, I don't know, there's, a, there's something kind of that feels related to them about, you know, to me about them. Um, and part of it is just that they have that old school aperture or uh, shutter uh, progression. Um, mm-hmm. It just, they feel slightly, it feels slightly sort of uh, from a different era. Does that make sense? I mean, it's. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you go even further back, a lot of folding cameras will go 100, 200, 400. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. And I, I like that because it makes doing the math for Sunny 16 easier. Yeah, exactly. And it's so, I don't know. It, it, there's something that I is to me is very appealing about the fact that it's like a one step less modern, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, this is purely, this is where I feel like I'm, you know, to venture into almost collector land is that I, 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 I like it because of those features. Those features don't really do anything <laughs> to yeah. make better pictures. So it's more just about the object, you know? Um, and, and that's not, that's okay. That's not a bad thing. No, no. And they're so, thing. they're so nicely made as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, it, the, so the funny thing is like the, on, on uh, Saturday, um, I had been actually talking to a guy the day before. So I, I put this ad together at, you know, central camera and I put it out on Facebook and Instagram and all that with like all this list of like 50 things that are on sale, um, you know, rangefinder wise. And this guy wrote me and, you know, we had a long conversation and he wanted to know like about um, the M3s and, you know, we talked through them and I tried to give him a little bit of detail on condition and everything. So he actually, he came up on, he came up on Saturday, the next day he came up and bought an M3 and he bought um, a single, a single stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, wait, was it a double? I think it was also a double, but it had the preview lever and it was a little bit later. Um, but a similar camera, you know, that's similar to this one. And we had a conversation about that. And like the thing that I, I find fascinating about cameras from this era, because I mean, what that's 1955 is how long ago? 60 something years at this point, pushing 70 years. Um, wh- what other technology do we have in our lives that is entirely still usable and functional Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that was made 60 years ago that we, that we just walk around and use. I don't really, I mean, unless you're like a a watch collector and you're into like old watches or Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what else, I mean, vinyl records maybe. Yeah. Or if you're a douchebag that drives around in like an old Porsche or something that's like (laughs) from the fifties, I, I cars to me are a different thing altogether. Um, but but do you know what I mean? Yeah, vinyl records, yeah. right? That's but but I mean they just they just lay there. They don't do anything. They just sit there and spin yeah, around. And, and that's mostly they have no moving parts. Yeah, they have no moving parts. So, but for something that's like a mechanical object that still works sixty plus years later, to me that's really kind of mind blowing because the the technology has advanced so far, right? But you can go out and make an image with this thing. And unless if somebody didn't know better or didn't understand, be able to see the difference between let's say film and digital or whatever, they might have been none the wiser to the fact that mm-hmm. it is what it is. Right. So, so I don't know. Yeah. 
No, go, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, so I find that very interesting and appealing um, on a lot of levels that really have nothing to do with uh, making images. Um, it, it's just like a, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's something, it says something about life and time and, you know, the, the I don't know. The, there's just a lot wrapped up in there, and that's what interests me about this particular camera. This one in particular, because we had five other M3s on the shelf. This was the cheapest. That was my other. That was my other big big factor. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it was the cheapest one, and I figured the boss would let it go easier because in his mind, he's an old school camera guy. It's the least desirable Leica. Is you know you, uh-huh. the, the people consider the single strokes to be more desirable. So it's you know it's kind of like a list niche camera. So I figured ah, I think I, I think I could talk to Boston to let me have this thing. It so. it's one of those things that speaks to the ethos of the fifties as well, where things were made to last. You know, oh, yeah, right. It's not like the consumer electronics of today, where they've got planned obsolescence of two years or so. Right. Um, these things you were meant to buy them once and then get them repaired if necessary, but they would last you a lifetime. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, David Chan, who I was mentioning earlier, he's of the same mentality. He just loves things from the 50s because they just keep going. Yeah, yeah. And 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 this thing, I mean, I got to say, so cosmetically, the only um, condition issue, I mentioned there's a couple of Vulcanite chips. And then somebody quite obviously had one of those fucking stupid Leica meters on the top. Uh-huh. And I know that because it's got a little like scuff marks uh, oh, yeah, yeah. on the front where the where the Leica script is, which it's, is because they're just used they're useless. <laughs> it, yeah, <sighs> I, I don't even like how they look. I just feel like they get in the way. And then if you want to yeah. use a non if you want to like use that accessory shoe for anything else, you could take the meter out. And you know, it's not like it just whip the meter out. You have to turn the thing and slide it and wiggle it, which is why this thing is scratched on the top. Because somebody yeah. was sliding, sliding and wiggling it, and they, with almost without fail, they marked up the top. I do not care about the marks. I'm just pointing out that I can tell it had a meter on it. Um, because everything else in this camera is like friggin' like perfectly functional. So it, I'm usually suspicious of cameras that are really clean because. Um, they tend to have issues because they've been sitting unused and it, and actually Leica's are famous for that, especially mm-hmm. the screw mount ones. Uh, but this one, actually everything is fine. This, I, it must've, it's, it's clearly it's been sitting, but it was well stored. So like, it, yeah. And if it had a meter on top of it, it was clearly used. Yeah. Yeah. It was used, but not a whole lot. And it was, you know, anyway, it's, it's clear. It's even cleaner than I would need it to be. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't like have a big thing about it being about the perfection of the cosmetics on it, but it, it's just, I'm, I'm more impressed that it's functionally just so good because a lot of them that we get from this era have, you know, the shutter needs to be adjusted and the, mm-hmm. you know, there's issues with them, but, um, but anyway, this one, this one's really good that way. It's just working like the day it was made. So on the different versions of the M3, um, the one that I have, it's an 802 serial and uh-huh. it has the Buddha ears, uh-huh. uh, and it also has the old backplate. And I'm wondering, do you, I, I read this once before, but I forgot. Do you know why they changed a, the Buddha ears to the round, uh, strap lugs and b the material of the, um, film pressure plate from oh, the ceramic or glass to uh, metal? 
I do know about that. I mean, I don't know about the, I'm assuming the booty ears are probably because the l- later type is more stable. I would mm-hmm. guess. I don't, maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe they were just, I don't know. Maybe it was cleaner. Maybe they're just could cleaner. Be, yeah. Could be something know. to do with the internals. Yeah. Right. And, and I do know about the glass though. And I'm pretty sure this, I was looking at this one. I'm pretty sure has the glass pressure plate. Um, I know they changed that because of the static discharge thing. Like, uh-huh, they, right. like you know, you can actually get it. Essentially from winding it, you can get a static electrical discharge and it leaves literally like a light, looks like a little lightning bolt streak on the film, which actually I've seen it. If you've ever seen an image of that, it looks totally cool, <laughs> but it's not something you probably want on every photo. I can't imagine it actually happen very often but i've uh, never seen that on anything on my yeah history. i would actually like yeah. to try to make it happen <laughs> but i <laughs> but i rub it on I, your cat first yeah exactly exactly take a picture of your cat and then have the lightning bolt but um no i mean i do i do know that was the impetus behind why it was changed cool yeah, yeah. and of course you have the wonderful long base length uh i do Extra I, I mean, I, the effective base length on this, I, it means that every picture I ever take will be in focus because, um, because that's how that works. You get the <laughs> camera with the longest base length, and you're gonna, it's gonna be perfectly in focus. You can shoot bokeh. Yeah. <laughs> so the the you know one lens that I know you have, uh, or I think you still have, which I think balances beautifully and handles beautifully on the M3, is that top core five centimeter. Oh uh, yeah. F2. Yeah, that that's actually the lens I was gonna um, gonna throw on here and give a try with. I have I've been using it uh, with the thirty five f two Canon, um, yeah. and I have the you know I have the so I've had for a long time the like a thirty five uh, viewfinder, which is a nice finder. I actually like the Voigtlanders better. I think they're 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 a little bit brighter, and I just like them better. Um, but I don't know. It's just it's original to the camera it's like from the same it just looks right <laughs> so i have it on there because it looks right again it just has nothing to really do it well partially usability but it just it's like a, you know another rectangular window on the front it just looks mm-hmm. like it belongs on the camera and the finish is the same and blah 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 so um but yeah i was gonna pop the uh top core on there because it does seem like it would be a great fit for the camera yeah, it balances perfectly. It looks really nice. And also the the smoothness of the focus tab and focus ring yeah, matches yeah. the smoothness of the uh, M3 oh, yeah. film advance. So it's You're right. That makes, that makes sense, Perry. Yeah, it does. It feels on my M3. It's so nice. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Well, that'll be the next lens to go on. So so anyway, that that's that's my that's my big news. I got the Leica M3 that I've been wanting for a long time. Um, and I now I have paired up yesterday i was shooting the ft2 and the and the m3 and that was just about perfection if i could have fit if i could have fit my my rolly 2.8c in the bag also that would have been like the ultimate threesome (laughs) and maybe i'll do that at some point but i don't know then that's that's too many things to fiddle around with uh two's two's enough (laughs) so that would be a great trio yeah threesomes can be fun so they say, Perry. I wouldn't know either. 
Well, let's let's let's, let's smooth things on, shall we? Um, sure. <laughs> um, and what we'll do? Well, let's uh, let's. I'll catch up on a few things I've been up to. Actually, I've only really been up to one thing, um, but I've I've got something to talk about that sort of goes carries on from where where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, yeah, my 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 main activity uh, last week for um, classic lenses wise was I did a talk at my local uh, camera club, uh, or rather the camera club that I go to, and that's not the same as the darkroom club that I go to. So this is mainly a um, digital um, based uh, club with a few people that um, that uh, shoot a little bit of film, and I did a. Uh, I've sort of redid the talk that I gave uh, about two and a half years ago, um, and that with just with a few extra um, updated photographs throw, thrown in there. But um, but that that went well. Um, and but what I also did uh, this time, instead of continuing to talk about different lenses and things, I, I made the second half uh, about uh, shooting on film and a little bit of my journey into film. Uh, which was was also quite it was quite interesting to 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 do that because there's quite a big difference between my knowledge base really with uh, adapting lenses and and shooting film and when you start to talk about the subject whatever the subject is if you if you're comfortable with the subject then you can it's it's it can be very very free and you can you can talk at length and be very comfortable with it and it was I was surprised that the film was it was. I was okay when I got going, but actually, to think about what am I actually going to talk about with film uh, yeah. was 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 a little bit tougher. Um, and and this this comes back to a, a wider discussion piece that I've been having with myself, and I've also had a little chat to Hamish about this, and I've just been going around in circles with it. Um, and actually, I've also spoke to Graham of um, Graham Jago of the Sunday Sixteen podcast on the same subject, and and this is a case that I find that. Um, the standard of my photography, and I spoke about this on a few occasions, but the standard of my photography when I shoot digital is generally higher uh, than when I shoot film. And I'm trying to do this when I talk about oh. higher. I'm, I'm trying to be objective in the standard of the photographs um, that I produce. And I've been thinking, well, why, why is that? And and this this is that this is that dilemma that you can go around. Uh, in all different directions that's exactly where i am at the moment but if you remember i was talking about uh, using that industrial lens a couple of weeks ago and taking those pictures in the fog and the i took three good photographs two three or certainly two very solidly good strong digital photographs with uh, an industrial 50 millimeter f 3.5 lens uh, which i had no joy at all in using uh, it was just, it's a lens, it does a job, uh, but it's, um, and, and that's it, you know, where's the fun, in, the fun in that? And I delivered three good photos out, out of that experience. And then I put the Petzval on and I loved every minute of it. And I probably delivered one half decent photo and that's as, that's as good as it got. Um, and yeah, so it's a case of, I'm thinking, well, sometimes, yeah, there's that thing about, well, if you're in a good mood, a good photographic mood, you take good photographs well that completely yeah it was destroyed by my experience there because i did not enjoy using the industrial and i loved using the petzval yet the industrial gave me the better photographs so that was that's one dilemma that came along and i'm struggling to square that one wait 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 so hold on hold on yeah that, that's really interesting <laughs> to me because 
I have a theory theory here to explain this because for me it's the other way around generally. Um, I have a much I think I make better photographs when I'm shooting film, but one of the things here is is you you said you shot three images with the Indostar, and that's, that's it. I think I shot I shot a few, but I mean I didn't take many photos. But there was there were three Im images that I took with it. I'm not sure if actually it might be two, but uh, there were two images certainly that I took with the Indostar, which were definitely the best shots of the day. Uh huh. So yeah, part of it is definitely going to be a mentality thing, but I think you also need to look at it as a uh, percentage, like a keeper ratio, right? Because if I'm not mistaken, you are very slow in working your way through a roll of film. Yeah. Right. And then when you look at the quality of images shot by digital, would I be right to assume that you are essentially ignoring the thousands of shots that are just throwaways or dicking around shots? No, because I, I, I do, I do take more shots with digital. There's no two. I'm freer with digital, but I'm not. I'm, I've, I, I've always had a bit of a film mindset, so I, I tend not to take the picture if I don't think it's going to be right. Or I might take the picture if I, and and see what happens. Well, generally speaking, I've, I, I have a similar kind of mindset. So, in terms of actually number of pictures taken, um, although. There's clearly something different again because I'm I'm even more particular. I'm over particular with film. Uh huh. So do you often get that feeling that you've missed shots because you've been reticent to press the shutter? Um, not specifically, but I think the likelihood would be that pro I probably have. Okay. No, I'm just wondering what your results would be like if you shot film the way that you shoot digital, apart from a bigger dent on your wallet it's hard it's hard to say i think well and this well the thing is where i'm there's somewhere i'm going with this this train of thought so i don't really uh -huh. want to jump jump into that one at the moment okay go ahead uh, but uh but i might well just do that now um because the 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 next part i was thinking well okay so the first the first part is well there's two parts i've just said there one is i tend to take better films digitally than i do on um film although those those two shots um, I think if I'd actually taken those on film, I think they would have actually added something to it. Um, and they certainly mm. could have been taken on film. There's no two ways about it. They could have been, a they could have been film shots. Um, and I think the reason why I didn't shoot film was because I was going into, into a bit of unknown and I wasn't sure, well, what, what's the right camera, what's the right film and all of this kind of stuff where you go out with digital and you've, you've, you've got so much more flexibility. So, mm -hmm. so right. that, 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 that happened. Um, and I, I can't remember what the, the the second point. Oh, that was it. So I was I was thinking about well, is this got something to do with familiarity? And because I'm I'm very very comfortable uh, using my my digital camera, my my Sony. I'm very very happy with that. It works exactly how I want it. I don't have to think about it. I've owned the thing for five years, and I you know I don't use many functions on it and I know exactly how to get to any of the functions I do want to without taking my eye away from the shot so that's that's the ideal way to use a camera I think in most most people's opinion I would say yeah um, and so I'm there thinking well film I use so many different cameras and is it a case that I'm just not familiarizing myself with my equipment and I need to listen to myself and everybody else who's saying, well, you need to actually just, just 
be 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 more focused on on the equipment that you use just just stick to one camera if you can and then just a couple of lenses or, or whatever and you know people get incredible results that you know the the you know the the best known historical photographers of our times they've used just one or two cameras and a couple of lenses and, and things like that yeah that's yeah. that's a very common thing and mm-hmm. you know so that makes huge amount of sense so be familiar with your equipment and and that's my problem with film that's that's it'd be very easy for me to say that uh. except i've just had the, my role of film back uh, from the my trip to uh, Edinburgh, and yeah. uh, and I've also got some pictures for uh, Liverpool as well. A walk around to Liverpool. So this is just a single roll of film, a portrait film, um, and it was taken with the camera that um, Jeremy uh, Jeremy North lent to me as Contax uh, G two. Uh, which was a kit which had every every prime lens between 21 millimeters all the way up to 90 millimeters, <clears throat> and I used most of those. I think the exception I didn't use the 35. And we've talked about that why I, I didn't use the 35 because it doesn't make sense when you've got a 45. Um, and I've had the pictures back, and almost every shot on that roll is a decent photograph in in some in some way. And this is using a a, a camera that lots of people. Uh, deride um, especially a lot of the the, the Leica folks out there uh, because this is an autofocus rangefinder camera and it's a you know I'm a Contax fanboy I've got to admit that but I've never used a Contax G2 before and I just felt that it was right and I was able to take exactly the photographs that I expected to to take mm. and they came out in exactly the way I expected them to so and that's with a camera I'd never used before. And I say the majority of the shots on that roll were half decent. So what what gives? Did you find uh, that it kind of melted into your hands and mind? Like that that effect you talk about with messing around with random film cameras and, and having to familiarize yourself with all the different controls and stuff. Was that the case with the G2 or did it click right away? Um. Well, there were plenty of things I got wrong with it, but I ended up taking double exposures by accident. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, so, no, it was. I didn't explore the camera uh, when I when I got a hold of it. Um, I thought, okay, well, that's the setting for that. That's the setting for that, and I can work out how to do a manual override on the focus, which <clears throat> on the G two is far better than with the the, the G one. Uh, the ability to manually focus and. And actually, I'm having a, a Contax RX camera uh, use it, that uses a similar kind of focusing system because the the RX, although it's a manual focus lens uh, camera, um, it's got a, a, effectively a digital rangefinder on it, and the same focusing system is in, comes into play with the with the, with the G2. So I was familiar with the way it manually focuses, and where some people have have a difficulty with manually focusing a g2 or especially a g1 i didn't have any problem at all in fact i was probably happier manually focusing than i was using the autofocus on it not that that was a particular problem either so so no i didn't i didn't um, have an intimate understanding of the camera and i and i used the very basic functions of it but it sounds like the you are hardwired to find contacts cameras very intuitive. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. It could be. I mean, I, I've got to say, I really, really wanted to like the camera 
There's no no two ways about it. <laughs> Going into this, I went into it with a very very positive mental attitude. No two ways about it. Yeah. But that that doesn't explain everything because I've behind me I've got a uh, a Kodak medalist uh, with a, a roll of portrait that uh, you you sent to me, um, um, and and it's still in there, and I hate <laughs> using it. And I really so wanted to like using that camera, but it's horrible. I'm sorry, I feel really bad for saying it. And it's got you know one of these amazing lenses, which is you know a, a legendary lens. And I'm, I'm just there thinking, why can't they just rip this thing out and put it onto a digital camera and <laughs> make me happy? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you, those the, you, I mean, you the photos are great, Simon. I mean, yeah. it, it's like you've got a role. You have like an entire role of keepers, <laughs> and and that's a really cool thing and i mean you, you know this is it's it, it you've always had a thing for this camera so i think that there is something to be said for the fact that you you have the you just you feel really good about using that camera and you just get it kind of get in the zone with something but i mean that camera that's what it's meant to do man right i mean it's meant to like nail exposure and it's meant to 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 nail the focus most of the time, right? And I, and I think it's more of a user thing. It seems like with those than a camera thing, the focus stuff. So you got the focus, you got the so that it's just you're composing and getting in the right place and just wanting to really take pictures, you know. And things seem to turn up when you really want to take pictures. Mm-hmm. So I, hey, man, I think that's amazing. I I think it's great that you you had such a good experience with it. The downside is I have to give it back. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Though I really appreciated using that. It was it was it was a great experience. The other the other thing, of course, I was I've only used the camera in two places. One is in the old town of Edinburgh, which is just a beautiful place to walk around and take photographs in a in a urban urban environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the second place I went to is uh, was was Liverpool again, a, a great place to walk around with the camera and just take pictures of stuff. So that helps too, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, sometimes you just find a camera that inspires you. Uh, I think you have to get one now. That's the problem. <laughs> well, well, this is the thing. <clears throat> I mean, you, you've just just been going on and on and on about those those like cameras there, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I've got my M2, and I could just sell my M2, which I hardly use, and I don't get a great deal of joy using, um, and get a G2. Uh, yeah, get a get a get a G two. But there's a few things that that, that stop me. Uh, one uh, part of me says I really haven't got my head around using uh, the 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 Leica, and it is has produced some good images, which I'm really really pleased about. Yeah. Um, so it's clearly a good camera, and the problem is with me. Um, the other part is it just we've talked about this before. It just feels great. Um, it's just a beautiful piece of equipment, and I just don't believe you how uh, both you guys say that the M3 has got a better winder than the M2. It's just <laughs> clearly not possible. Um, so, in fact, actually, when I did my I did my talk um, uh, at the camera club, and at the end of it, I you know, invited people to come up and because I took a load of gear with me as well, so people can touch and feel cameras and lenses and, and things like that. And one of them was my M2, and I'd just been talking about the uh, the winder. On that, I just I, I described it to him as pure sex, and um, <laughs> which uh, um, that, that 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 made a few people wanted wanted to know exactly what pure sex uh, felt like in a, in a camera, and uh, and handed it over, and a few people goes, oh yeah yeah, I see what you mean, you know, 
you know. <laughs> so um, it, it, went, it went down well. Um, but uh, and I've, I've sort of lost lost where I'm going. But um, one of the uh, the things is though it, it's so it's a gr- it's a great camera. It works well and all all of those things. And I've I just I'm just not in the right headspace to use it properly. And that they, that may well change. It's a camera that if I sell it, I'll probably never get another one. And I like to actually have it. It's a bit like having owning a one point two lens. It's one of those things you, sort of, you almost feel like you've got to have one. Um, but the other part is a G two. Is an expensive camera. Uh, again, you, know, you can you can pay you know, five hundred pounds plus and go into how many hundreds of dollars or whatever, and it can break tomorrow and never work again and yeah. have no yeah. hope of being fixed. And that that scares me. It yeah. really really scares me. And I know that this this M two, which I which I don't use enough and don't appreciate, it's fixable and it's going to be fixable for a very long time. And uh, that I think that's that really stops me from selling that camera and swapping it for a g2 i think yeah i I mean that that's definitely true because you know electronic cameras i think they make me nervous in exactly the same way so the only ones that i have are the ones that i shoot a ton because i know that if they do die at least you know i didn't buy it and have it just sitting around there um you you really got to know that you're going to use the crap out of it and kind of get your you know get your money's worth so to speak uh, for if and when it does eventually, you know, zonk out because of the electronics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I t- totally agree. And, I, and I've, you know, I am a Contax fanboy. I've, I, I love my two Contax SLR cameras, my RX and my AX, and I, I generally deliver when I go out and take pictures with those as well. Um, so. But but you know they're electronic too, right? Oh, very much so, completely. But they don't they the the the, en- the entry fee to getting into them, you know, the, uh, is is far less. You know, the you know contact SLR camera is a good one is is far less than any G two. Uh, doesn't even including the AX, which is the most complex one of the lot. Um, it's still far less than the G two is. So um, I feel like I can, you know the, that, that entry cost is um, is such that I could justify that breaking and dying uh whereas the cost for a g2 is just too much yeah that's fair so you know simon <laughs> there is this other camera they make called the g1 no <laughs> oh, that's a 180 turn <laughs> yeah no no it's uh i mean, i've i actually still have um uh, Jeremy's uh, G1 here because I should have given it back to him when uh, and it was I, you know it wasn't a case I was deliberately held on to it uh, because it, it was it had a problem and I got it uh, my, my man fixed it for him which was great news uh, so it just proves you can sometimes fix things with a, with a, with a Contax G camera although that said that this was more to do with the uh, a problem with the the film that had literally bonded itself to the inside of the camera <clears throat> so it wouldn't wind on so it was just a cleaning job to get that one up, but I had to I had to play with it, and this is after using uh, the G two, and for me there's just there's just no comparison. It's just it's chalk and cheese. It's night it's night and day the difference between the two cameras. Even though you know, the the form factor is very very similar, uh, one the G one just feels clunky compared to the G two. Plus the 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 manual focusing method on the G two for me is intuitive where it and it's it uses a different system there's a dial that you just turn the dial and it effectively focuses the camera um 
and it just doesn't work anywhere near as sweetly on the on the G1, which is you know, the reason why they they did it because the G1 was is a very clunky, clunky method for manually focusing, and the the G2 is is far better. I mean, the, plenty of the the rangefinder people do not like the G2 focus either. Um, mm-hmm. but that's that's fine. Yeah, we we all like different things, and the and the G2 just just works for me, and I'm, I'll be very happy to use it all the time. Yeah, hey. but not a G1. If it works, it works. We all have our things, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, I think if you love that camera, then make it happen, Simon. I'll just wait. I for think. A cheap, yeah. I'll wait for a cheap <laughs> one to come along. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. If you wait long enough, it happens. Although I have been waiting for four years. I was gonna say there's some <laughs> that, that would be like me. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm just gonna wait till a cheap X band comes along. <laughs> yeah. I it's like there are certain cameras that I just don't think are gonna come back to reality. <laughs> And I, I, the G2 is not on that scale is not, is still terrible, but it's pretty damn bad. It's not going to get any better, but you know, you, you, you're right though. You never know. I mean, things do, things do come along. It's just, I think it's one of those things where you have to hope you find it. You stumble upon it in person. Because well, exactly. you're not going to find it like online, you know what I mean? No, no, and I've, I'm absolutely resigned to that. So yeah, and, and yeah. that's fine. And uh, you know, and I've got two lenses there waiting, waiting to be used with it, which I've owned for quite some time now. My 45, my 90. Um, yeah, but now having having used the the 21, which is spectacular. I mean, I, yeah. I loved using that with the the external rangefinder, which really surprised me. Uh, because I've, I've never really used never well i've used external rangefinders i've never really been a fan so i think well stick one of these on a g2 and i'll be thinking that's that's just can't be good and it was great i really really enjoyed the experience of of doing it that way i didn't miss being yeah the the uh uh the 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 less parallaxed uh, version of the of the, uh, the, the that you were going to get um and i i also really enjoyed using the 28 millimeter lens as well which seeing that you know none of us here are particularly fans of 28 millimeter i just it just worked really well. Why do you always say that? I like 28 millimeters. It's Johnny and Carl and you that had issues with it. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's, you're still outnumbered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, three, it's three to one on that one. Yeah, but come uh, on. That 28 on that for that system is really nice. It it's is. Really, it's, it's really it's nice. So nice. Exactly. I, I had no yeah. – it was perfect – for for what I was using it for, yeah. so my second most used lens, I, and it and, and see, I think twenty eight like that. That's the thing. It's so environment. It's so dependent on environment. Like there are some environments where it just works. It just works so well. I mean, in those shots of Edinburgh, I mean, it obviously it was just like the perfect focal length. Yeah, it's it's like this thing with the width of the streets and the height of the build, there's like some math formula mm-hmm. in there where 28s are perfect, but it's like how wide are the streets? How far away are the buildings? How tall are the building? It, you know what I mean? There's just like this thing where it works. It's like Gary Winogrand with a 28. It's like the perfect lens for Manhattan. It, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, with 35, which I shoot 90% of the time, there are times when I feel, uh, I wish this were a little longer. I, I never feel like, Oh, I wish this were a little bit. Sorry, I wish it were wider. I never feel like I wish it was it were longer. But with twenty eight, when I'm shooting twenty eight, it's just it's perfect. You know, if more of my cameras had the frame lines, or if more of my cameras felt as good as the five L two with the external twenty eight finder, I, I'd be all over that focal length, man. It's so nice. Yeah. 
Shout out to 28 millimeter. It doesn't get the love it deserves. <laughs> but the, no, no. But the other thing too is like 28 millimeter lenses. Um, most of the compact ones are f 2.8, just like the one on your contacts G system. Uh, whereas 28 millimeter f2 lenses, for some reason, are like obnoxiously huge. Whereas 35 f2 lenses, is, at least for most rangefinders, are super compact. And right. I don't know why that is, right. but it's yeah. annoying, right? Like if you want LTM or Leica, the f2 28 millimeters, like the Voigtlander. Uh, or the Leicas are huge. Yeah, they're jumbo. Yeah, I, I think that's that's largely down to the op- optical design having to. Yeah, um, yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's got, they've got to do more work to start off with to get to get the light through to the, the the film plane, having dragged it in from the corners, and so it's got to appreciably more to get more light through it at the same time as well, isn't it? I was um, looking at. A, I've got, actually got an option, and I can't believe I'm actually still thinking about this. Uh, I've got an option on a, a 28 millimeter f2 Minolta uh, uh, lens, um, and I'm, I'm strangely attracted to it. And I can't quite—I I don't know what it is, um, but it's a big—it's a big thing. It is a big—it's a big lens. Um, but it, it, there's there's something to be said about using that lens wide open uh, with that kind of perspective as well. It's it's quite an interesting look. Mm. I just I just like the uh, extra shutter speed it gets you when the light is a little lower because twenty eight you know you can shoot at one thirtieth at f two mm. that's like a low light beast right there. Yeah, that's a good point. And when I've done I haven't done it for a while when I've gone around the the, the city at night um, and twenty eight millimeters as we we're just talking about earlier twenty eight millimeter round where I live works extremely well. It's it just seems to be the right focal length, mm-hmm. and uh, so doing that with a with a uh, an f two that sounds quite attractive. That does. Yeah, and when you have an external finder, if you're using one, I guess you wouldn't with a twenty eight, but with a twenty one, there's something to be said for separating the framing from the focusing yeah. window. Yeah. Because um, I find when I shoot with an external finder, my framing is a little bit better because Leicas yeah. encourage you to put stuff in the middle, and you have to take that right. extra disciplined step of like properly reframing after you focused whereas if you are you know you focus in one movement and then you trust that your focus is in roughly the right place and you just focus entirely on framing uh i i think i get on average better results when i shoot that way uh yeah we you know i thought think we talked about this at one point earlier in the week because i was saying now i need to get a 40 millimeter viewfinder to put on (laughs) to put on my uh my rolly uh, rangefinder with 40 millimeter frame lines because I, right. I, I just I enjoy using external finders so much more with a range. I mean, I just like to use the focusing patch in, for focusing and then pop my eye up to the much big. I mean, yeah. any external view, viewfinder is bigger than bigger and better. You know what I mean? It's like I don't know. I just feel like that my framing is better when I yeah. use that. You know, it, it's like I don't, it's like when you're shooting digital cameras and um, you separate the uh, like the back button focus from the half shutter press. Yeah. It's like the more you separate the individual functions of shooting, the more you focus on each one. Like yeah, step, by, step by step. Yeah. Huh. And that's, that's also one of the, the beauties of using old cam, old lenses on digital cameras, um, in, <clears throat> in particular mirrorless is that you, you, you see the focus of the whole picture far better than you do on a, a DSLR. Right. And yeah. you, you've, yeah, you compose and focus at the same time rather than there's been two separate actions, uh, which you mm-hmm. tend to do with a with an autofocus camera. Or at least I do, at least anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. 
I mean, it, the other interesting thing to me, Simon, is you're one of the only people I know who uh, is into the Contax G system for the cameras and not just the lenses. Because you've been gushing about the G2 when, you know, those lenses are freaking amazing. Yeah. Right? The, well, it's it's one of those things that go hand in hand. And the reason why I don't talk too much about the lenses is because if you when you adapt them, they're a pain in the ass. That is true. Unless you convert them to M-mount. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I like... <laughs> See, that, that doesn't appeal to me at all. It's, it's a bit weird. I, th- I think I'd just rather just use whatever lenses, you know, whatever LTMs or M-mount lenses on a rangefinder rather than bring one of those across. I, I mean, I'd, I'd far prefer to adapt them to Sony uh, than I would actually want to put them onto, onto a film Leica. You know... Uh, that's funny because the ninety the ninety millimeter contacts G lens and the twenty one millimeter um, plus the thirty five I have, but specifically those two, I think if I could get those converted to M mount, uh, they would be my favorite lenses in those focal lengths mm. because optically and size wise, like the ZM twenty one two eight is huge compared to the contacts G. I don't know what they did or why they can't just remake that, but it's huge. Where and then the ninety millimeter uh, sonar it optically is just stunning, you know. Mm. And then in ZM, there's the A5F4, which is a stop slower. So those lenses are pretty unique, man. They're so nice. Well, just I just wonder with the case of the the twenty one at least, is it? Uh, I mean, have you actually seen any that are being um, converted to a yeah. mount? Yeah, yeah, Miyazaki-san does them. You can you can buy them online. Uh, okay. MS Optic converted. I was just wondering if there was just a problem fitting the cam uh, to the no, focusing no. method. It's totally fine, and it's substantially smaller than the ZM or the Leica twenty one two eight. I mean, that, that, that just just comes to another point. I just that, uh, and I've mentioned this before. I mean, I was using those those lenses, and I was thinking, "Oh, these are beautiful lenses." And of course, you you don't know that until you've seen the pictures. And uh, yeah, because I certainly got that feeling when I was using the 21, I was thinking, oh, these pictures are going to be great. I don't know that. I'm just looking through a, an external viewfinder. It's not looking through the lens at all. Uh, but you just mm-hmm. get this feeling that they would be good. And uh, they absolutely were um, sharp as sharp as you like. Super contrast yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So all good. Yeah. All good. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Let's... Uh, how are we doing for time? Yes, we've been going on for a bit. Let's. Uh, we've got quite a few emails. I'm thinking because we didn't haven't done any for a couple of weeks. So should we should we rattle through a few of those, Johnny? Yeah, we can do that. I am going to run off and get some uh, liquid to have while I do that. So we'll be right back, folks. And you won't even know we were gone. <laughs> All right, I'll be right back. All right, you guys ready? Yeah. yeah so, uh, there is sunlight pouring through my windows, and it's driving. It's killing me. So we <laughs> we need to get through these because I could actually go out and maybe shoot some more film today, which okay. would be incredible. Let's, let's do it. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we're back. We're gonna read some emails quickly because <laughs> it's sunny, <laughs> it's so and cool. I want to go shoot pictures. <laughs> so we're gonna start with uh, Paul Friday. Subject: Angle of the Dangle. Uh, who wrote us on the 22nd of January. <laughs> what is this email about? I don't know. We're about to find out. <laughs> Paul says, now then, first off, the recurring subject of perspective. 
get the a copy of Randall Monroe's book, How to Turn to Chapter 21, How to Take a Selfie. Uh, this may be the explanation that works. And another thing, why do we all describe lenses by their focal length and not their angle of view? It's an angle of view we choose them for uh, and that we use. As Randall points out above, a full rainbow covers an 83-degree field of view. Selecting the right lens would be easy if you knew what angle they each covered. And just to make things easier in a way, it would be even more convenient to use the military idea of mills instead of degrees. Using mills means that you can easily select the right lens to cover an object of a certain size at a known distance. Think perhaps of a three meter long car you want to you want full frame at 40 meters distance. Simples, 75 mils angle of view. That, uh, the sums are easily enough to do in your head. Okay, class, discuss, cheers. I have no idea what the hell he's talking what, about. What the hell? How, how the hell can a full rainbow cover 83 degree field of view? Doesn't it depend on how far you are from the rainbow? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would think. Right? Like, that doesn't yeah, make any well, sense. Well, yeah, but rainbows are funny things, though, aren't they? So you get close. Well, there's there's the title of today's podcast. Can we just stop now? Because Simon has again come up with a perfect title. Yeah, we're we're not going to have this conversation. (laughs) Although I will say, as far as arbitrary uh, descriptions go, you know, focal length is fine because we all get what that uh, means. The aperture numbering is a really weird system when you think about it, right? Because it's this, it's a geometric relationship. Mm -hmm. And so the numbers, you just kind of remember them, Right. And they double every two stops because it's like the square relationship. But it makes no sense. The, when I try, when you try to explain to someone yeah. who's just getting into photography um, what the numbers mean, like aperture is the one where they're like, "Why the hell is it f five point six? Right? Yeah. Well, so. it's the other part is like when you say and and the app you you make the aperture open open up wider, yet the number gets smaller. I mean, but it makes total sense if oh, you yeah. know what it means yeah, because it's right. expressing a ratio of the focal just, length to the diameter. But like, why right. you express that in a in the practical application is, you know, when they used to use like exposure values or exposure indexes, right? I think I think they used to have those numbers because they're just much easier to understand for right. a newcomer right. to photography than like, you know, f one point four to f two is one stop, but then f eleven to f sixteen is also one stop, right? And yeah. here's why. Let me draw you a circle with some trigonometry. Uh, this is this is just like deja vu for me because I was actually walking the dog this morning. And there was a rainbow, and I was and I was. <laughs> and the dog asked you about apertures. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I'm getting closer to this rainbow, but am I actually getting closer to this rainbow? And I, and so wait, you were looking at your dog's aperture, or you were looking at the rainbow? <laughs> no, no, no. Although he does tend to walk in front of me, but no. Um, what would you call that? About a five point six? Oh, hopefully it's like f twenty two at least. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> where'd you go from there um but uh, yeah when and yeah and the other part was i was i was just i was thinking about aperture sizes and the the way that we actually express them and how it, it's it's just really counterintuitive when you have a have that discussion with, uh, with with when you're trying to explain it to people so um yeah weird i don't know what the the next part of that journey is going to come into the next email i don't know but, uh, I, I i this is an interesting this is interesting what he's saying here and i think if someone was coming to this subject as a blank slate 
this line of thinking would make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But for me, having done it and wrapped my head around understanding what the how focal length of a certain lens relates to angle of view and just knowing intuitively what a 28 versus a 50 versus a, right. I mean, it's like, to yeah. me, this, to try to, to try to wrap that in a, some sort of equations would actually be way more difficult. Exactly. Because it's, it, it is in many ways, much more intuitive to think, all right, right. 35 millimeter is our reference point. Right. Right. And so yeah. whatever focal length, whatever angles of view, different focal lengths yield on 35 millimeter, because it's by far the most commonly used film size and now sensor size. Uh, well, that might not be true, that latter part, but you know what I mean. Um, then use that as the reference point and then just go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's arbitrary, but not random. R- right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, just, and, and when I use large format, I've got a few different lenses and I... I do the mental. I do the maths in my head, um, mm-hmm. whereas with a sure. on, on full frame, I I know what yeah. I'm going. If I need a 85 millimeter lens, it's because I know I need an 85 millimeter lens for the shot I'm trying to achieve, and I can see exactly. that, and I and I get right. it right, right every single time. Um, but when it when it comes to large format, where uh, if I want a 28 millimeter view, uh, point of view, I'm thinking, well, that's a 90 millimeter. Yeah, so I'm still thinking in 35 millimeter, and then I have to do the maths to take it into large format. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that drives me crazy is when someone asks me what the 35 millimeter equivalent is for a six by six lens. <laughs> That's always where I'm just like, I have to give you the long answer. I have to give you the long answer. <laughs> I can't just give you a number. Yeah, because, and and that is that is the that is the, the part of that, and you could argue that the the field of view would would apply. Uh, better in some respects, but because the the actual form, the shape, and format of uh, of the of the sensor or film size matters um, yeah. in terms of the focal length and how that converts to angle of view, and your angle of view is always going to be consistent. I assume, and you think about it, it's always going to be consistent. That is the angle of view that you see from with that lens on this film. So therefore, that's all you need to know. So. I c- it it does it does make some sense, but I guess we're just hardwired the other way, and it's just too late to change. I don't know. And that that would make no sense. Like if I'm shooting the X pan, that number would just be meaningless without just entirely entirely re- referencing it against the format. You know, what yeah. the angle of view? Yeah. Well, no, I, 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 no, I, I think it. I think it's got legs, but it, it's we just don't think that way. Because yeah, ultimately, yeah, you're, yeah, I mean, this this is the beauty of it. An X-pan uh, lens with a, I don't know, a, a 100-degree angle of view would be a 100-degree angle of view lens, whatever that is, irrespective of what, it's, what it is in millimeters. And the same would then apply with the 6x6 six six lens. Yeah, no, no, I, I see what you mean. I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> okay, I stand corrected. But yeah, we just don't think that way. <laughs> no, we just don't think that Okay. Uh, moving on moving on Paul Friday on a Monday thank you very much Paul Friday on a Monday <laughs> uh, moving on to um, oh name George Jorge 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 Jorge, Jorge. Okay. Jorge Grillo maybe well, anyway he says hello uh, dear Simon Perry and Johnny greetings from San Diego I became a listener of your podcast late in 2019 and I am addicted 
the 1.5 hours or so of showtime <laughs> gives me something fun to listen to for two days worth of commute. And I'm always looking forward to the following week's episode. So thank you. Uh, I have yet to watch the 100th episode. I usually don't have uh, have that much time to sit in front of the tube. That's okay. Uh, just watch it in your car on the commute. <laughs> uh, I should also say that I absolutely hate you. You've given me so much gas that I went ahead and splurged on a Fuji X-T1. Uh, oh, TX1. Oh, TX1. Holy crap. It's holy. Nice. Yeah. All that panorama talking. It's a beautiful camera, and I'm enjoying it very much. I'm always looking for a challenge, and composing in panorama format is not trivial. Um, I've uh, I've been mostly a Nikon user. I have currently a Nikon Z7 Z7 that I bought Thank mostly... You, yeah, you're welcome. That I bought mostly for its manual focusing aids and FE2 and FM3A and also an Olympus OM1. Love all of them for FE2, different reasons. Was that an FE to you? Did you just say that? FE2. Oh, right. Something like an FE to you. <laughs> an FE2. Uh, love them all for different reasons. I do not own any autofocus or Z mount lenses at the moment. I use a. Nikkor 28mm f2.8 and Noct 58mm f1.2. I know I know a lot of gas there. And also the 105 2.5 all AIS. I also have a Jupiter 9 85mm f2 and f mount uh, that I like quite a bit. The Oli comes with the 50mm 1.8, does a good job, but I've been reading about the 24mm f2 for a while now. I love these lenses. I feel they, that they impart a character to the images that modern surgical lenses cannot compete with. The Noct 58 f1.2 is my favorite and what I use the most. Comments and suggestions for other lenses are welcome. Uh, I have also been nourishing in great pain my desire for medium format camera, and, I qu and I'm quite fond of the Makina 670. What are your thoughts on this camera? Thank you, and keep up the good work. Jorge. Or George, or Ooh. George, George. If you're that is some serious gas, right? Yeah, there. it's some serious gas. Yeah, I, that that that's interesting as 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 well. In in particular, about using the 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 knocked fifty eight at the one point two is 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 a you know is is a heavily used lens. Why wow, that um, lens is awesome? Well, because the, it's it's an interest. I mean, I don't know a great deal about this lens, but I know that. Well, according well, does people say that it was designed to be used at night and at particularly true. low light? Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and that you, know, you just said that it's true, and perhaps it is. But that that if that is the case, then that should also say, therefore, that if you're using it in the daytime, it's probably going to be a bit weaker. No, what? What? No, 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 no. Why would it suck in the daytime if it's particularly good at night? That makes no sense. Because it's meant to be good at night. No, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's like if you buy a four if if you buy a four wheel drive car, right? It doesn't mean it sucks for driving on a date. Uh, maybe it's a bad analogy, but I have had <laughs> yeah, the chance to. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't had the let, chance to. Let me explain. Let me explain. Okay. Because you do, you do get, uh, and and this is this is 
Definitely don't. This is not necessarily fact-based, um, though I'm about to say now. <laughs> really, Simon? Is it? Is it really not fact-based? It's okay. coming out of your aperture. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I do, do like to preface things if, I, if I'm if i not entirely certain about what I think you're at F1.2, but let's go. Yeah. Um, and the, there are different versions of the Aero Ektar lens, and uh, some have yellow dots and some have blue dots on them. And the... The wisdom behind that is that some were used for daylight shooting and some for night time shooting. Um, so uh, yellow for day and uh, blue for night, which sort of makes sense. Um, and my thinking is, uh, would there be something happening with the coatings of a lens that would make it more suitable for use at night as opposed to use in the daytime and vice versa? Uh I don't know, but I've used the, you know, I once sat down um, and someone handed me three different F1.2 lenses on a Sony, one of which was the Noct. Uh, the other two were the Minolta 58 1.2, I think. And uh, I think the other one was a Noctilux. Um, sorry, not the 1.2 Noctilux. That would be absurd. It was the 0.95. Um, but yeah, the, the 58 1.2 Nikkor, I tried it. I was like, oh, people say this is really good at night. I think that's BS. Um, and I shot some portraits at night. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning uh, at night and in artificial light. So make of that what you will. It's a really nice lens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, he's he's got so much great stuff already. So don't blame what? us for your don't blame us for your gas. You're like blowing wad balls on like awesome gear man yeah if you want to <laughs> if you want a crazy recommendation for your nikons uh given that you already have the knocked uh, i recommend the nikkor 13 millimeter f 5.6 what yes <laughs> do you guys not know about this lens no <laughs> uh maybe just google it it's insane um no i saw one for sale locally and I looked at the price tag and I was like, is that is that mislabeled? And the shopkeeper was like, nope, that's the actual price. I was like, that's, that's, it, it was like 25,000 pounds. I was like, is that, is that, are you for real? I'm like, yep. Oh, Ken Rockwell calls it the holy grail of Nikkor lenses. So that's why you should buy it. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Right. I, I'm yeah. totally joking. That, no, that's no, pure. Yeah. 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 Um, but on the, on the Makina 670, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this camera, guys? I have mixed feelings about it. I've I've, I've never used one, um, but I really want one. I if all I gotta say is if you want one, I have a Makina six seventy and a Makina six seven at Central Camera on sale. Ooh, so ah, give me a then. call. <laughs> ah, now then, now then, I might maybe making a mistake here. So uh, I I thought it might have been a typo. Uh, by saying 670 and it's actually 67 so there is actually so i've i now need to recuse myself uh, because i don't know what a 670 is it's it, the it, it's yeah it's the makina that you're thinking of the one with the 82.8 uh nikkor oh, right. it i don't know why anybody would pay more for that one than the previous model other than it's just <laughs> because they can i mean it it's uh, they're really not any different functionally. They're really not. I, just, I mean, it, it just looks a little bit different, and there's it's going to be way harder to find than the six seven. 
Okay, I'm just 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 found them now, and I prefer the six seven. Visit um, Yeah, I actually for, do for too. Looks. I yeah, I actually yeah. for just purely looks wise, I think the six seventy is kind of gaudy. To be it, honest, the six seven is based on that that wacky Agfa uh, point and shoot, right? Yeah, I mean they're, they're both the same shape. Mm-hmm. It's just the it, the styling is different. And I yeah. suppose they might have, I don't know, they might have tweaked some. Oh, 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 I know. The um, the strap lugs are swivel on the 670. And I know this because literally I have these two cameras side by side on the shelf. And I've played with them both. And I can't, I mean, other than just to say you've got a 670, I don't know why you would spend extra money on it. All right. So Yeah. So you didn't and, find that the the ribbed nature of the six seven ribbed for my pleasure, but I'm just as pleasured by the smooth body of the six seven. Yeah. yeah. So the the thing that's always got me about that camera, you know, it's wonderful, it's compact, the lens is great. I really, really hate the focusing mechanism. Um, and every time oh, I've used, on the, every, every time on the I've tried one, I just yeah, I can't get around that little focusing dial. It doesn't feel good to me. I like to focus on the yeah. lens, or if it is a wheel, it's like it's like the Contact Kiev cameras, you know, um, yeah. where you, where you can focus with a little wheel. The Makina mm-hmm. one feels nicer, but I just don't like using my thumb to well, focus or my right yeah, hand. To focus. Yeah, and you end up with your hand in a different place than you're used to having it on a camera ah, for the most yeah. part. To fo- right? I mean, it, I, I get that. It's definitely different. I so get a voice. Uh, uh, that's uh, the thing that we were talking about. What's it called? Oh yeah. The, the Voidlander Bessa three, three thingy. Yeah. I'd actually probably rather have the best of three. Although I don't 100%. know. I mean, it's, yeah, I guess it's six of one, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. If you can, if you can afford to get it, just, just get it. You'll like it. You'll love it. It's, I mean, it, yeah. it's really good. Look, it's a, to me, if I was going to go like, if I was going to be like backpacking or something, it would be like the perfect camera to take as it folds up flat. But yeah. so does the Voigtlander. So yeah, exactly. So does any yeah. folder, really. The folder. Yeah. So does any folder, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I would in that format. Well, it's six by seven, so maybe not in that format. But I, as far as folding rangefinders go, the one that I would have the most gas for is the Agfa Super Isolate. Mm-hmm. I think those things are so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can I can I make Jorge a one serious recommendation for a Nikon lens and not the not the thirteen millimeter joke that I was talking about earlier? Because <laughs> um, I don't think he has anything in this focal length. My favorite Nikon lens that I don't own uh, is the Voigtlander forty millimeter f two ultra. Oh yeah, yeah, it's nice. That lens feels so good. It's nuts. It's a pancake. It's tiny. Yeah, optically it's great. Cool, that is a cool lens. Yeah, comes with this weird little close up filter thingy. Um, but man, that lens feels wonderful. That's and I'm gonna and I'm gonna say that you should you should uh, forget the fancy stuff and you should get uh, a an old as you possibly can fifty millimeter f two because mm. to, to me that is the only Nikon lens that I own, <laughs> the only one, <laughs> and I don't own a Nikon, so I put it on other things. But I really like that lens. It's got that that we we're talking about that fifty f two magic. It's got it. It's totally got it. So I, I, that's the lens I would suggest to get because it's going to cost you literally like fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, you to me, get it and shoot it and compare it to your knocked at f two and tell us what you think. Write us back. This yeah. is your assignment, Jorge. You have to go. <laughs> you go. Got to go buy a Nick. It's the Nick Nickor H, right? 
the 50 millimeter F2. Yep. Go get one of those for $50, cheapo, cheapo, and shoot it and shoot your knocked and tell us what you think of both of them at F2. That's what I mm-hmm. want to know. And if you get the Voilander 40 F2, it's yes. just over 200 bucks. Uh, it's going to transform your Nikons because they're going to be more portable than ever. 40 millimeters is perfect. And I mean, Simon, you've, you've, tra- you've tried that lens too, right? It's it super lovely. nice. Uh, everything so you said about it, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, just a really nicely made camera, not uh, lens, um, very compact, yeah. good, good tactile feel to it, and you've got that novelty factor of that uh, that that screw in um, close focus thing, which I I had in at one point, and I wondered why I couldn't get infinity because I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I thought <it> broke. <laughs> but there you so, go. So I'm going to make one more suggestion. One more suggestion uh, along the same lines of what we've been talking about. So they make uh, Voigtlander also makes a 15 millimeter yeah. uh, super wide Heliar for Nikon, uh, and and they make a super super cool. Uh, it's uh, what is it a viewfinder replace a viewfinder attachment um, for the top of the camera to to take the viewfinder. And it's custom. And if you want to go blow some money, totally unnecessary on just cool stuff for Nikon, to me, this would be at the top of the list. And you'll just have to, I will find a link for it. But it's a special viewfinder uh, that goes with a 15 millimeter that'll go on your Nikon. And that, there you go. You need one of those. I've never heard of that. That sounds cool. Yeah. Wait till you see a picture of it. It's, it's really, really cool. Yeah. I'll I'll just, just, add in there because he's also got the olympus as well and i would say just about any f2 olympus lens well worth it yeah they're so yeah. good all the yeah. olympus f2s are great okay i'm making a note here to go find that uh nikon to find that picture anyway okay moving on sunlight's wasting we got to get through this shit um <laughs> Jervis Pendleton, subject, Johnny's Instagram. Hi, everyone. Johnny is 2020. Time to respond to the Instagram <laughs> followers. Love you guys. Okay, moving along. Ian Fleming, Petri Blusco. <laughs> there's, no, there's no answer to that one. <laughs> are you, are you, are you, is this going to be your New Year's resolution for 2021 then, is it? To do uh, uh, people no, follow I, Instagram. I, I, I was dangerously close to posting some panos to uh, Instagram the other week out of the ft2 so that'll happen sooner rather than later i will be posting to instagram because i've now officially passed the one year mark of not posting anything to instagram so now that i've uh made my one year you know hit my one year mark it's i can i can now say yeah i went a year without posting to instagram so now i can do it again so, so it's coming so, uh, so i was gonna say yeah. for, for everybody is there going to be some kind of quota system though that people need to get the names down sooner rather than later um, otherwise they're not going to get in or anything like that so have you have you worked out who you're letting in because you you must have about 600 people want to follow you i don't know it's gonna happen all at once it just it's you know what this is part of the reason i i got off of instagram was all the spam followers not that the people who request you know are it, it's when i had it not locked down and you get people auto following you that kind of thing hmm. um uh it then 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 my instagram feed was full of bodybuilders people who make crafts and booty 
And I don't want any of that. I'm sorry. I don't need any of that in my Instagram feed when I'm trying to look at photos. So that's why I'd stopped using Instagram. So Instagram, because you're assholes and you don't give people because you're obviously it's owned by Facebook. And because you guys are assholes and don't give people easy tools to control that sort of thing. Screw you guys. So I haven't used, that's why I haven't used it for a year. So not my, not my, not my circus, not my monkeys. Okay. Anyway, uh, moving right along. <laughs> and, I was gonna say, and you can follow Johnny on Instagram at system photography. No, cause you know what? Now I'm so pissed off again. I'm not going to be on there for another year. So I'll see you in 2021 folks. All right. Ian Fleming writes a subject, Petri blue scope. Uh, have, he we, says, have we just missed one? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, you skipped James, another short one. James Thorpe. Did, oh, did I miss James Thorpe? I, I, you Subject know what? I'm looking, I'm looking at, I have Jervis Pendleton's email twice in here, and I think I may have missed James Thorpe's email. So I'm going to quickly just go over to my email, and I'm going to open it up. Jim Thorpe, hold on one second. Email opening. Oh my God! Come it's on, almost as short as the previous one. Is it okay? Yeah. Is it going to be about Instagram? Because if it is, I'm just nope. going to get no. more pissed off. <laughs> Simon could have read it out by now. <laughs> yeah, or, even, even or, Simon could have read it. Or you, for that matter, Perry. That's All true. Right. It is addressed to me. Oh, uh, classic. Let's okay, I'll, here, break quick. Why don't I just read it? To read yeah. it, Perry. All right. <laughs> Uh, this is from James Thorpe. He says, hey, classic chaps. Perry recently mentioned his positive experience with Serto 6. I've also bought a few cameras from that guy, Jurgen, and they've always been top-notch. Uh, and wanted to let you know, I can also personally vouch for Petracla.com in the Netherlands. Peter's also a really solid seller of CLA classics. Ghastly yours, James oh, cool. Thorpe. Good so info. thanks for that tip. Jurgen's yeah. stuff is fantastic. And so if this guy's stuff is just as good, then we should check it out. Awesome. All right. Very good. Okay. Moving right along to Ian Fleming subject, Petri blue scope, dear Simon, Johnny Perry, I accept your challenge on my Petri and I will report once it's dead. (laughs) Interestingly, it came with a homemade tool to unscrew the winder plus other homemade fix and bits. I'm happy to facilitate a photo walk. And a train ride. <laughs> Keep up the good work, Ian. Proper train, Fleming. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds like somebody's already did, made some workarounds <laughs> to get that camera in working order. So I like customized cameras that have had workarounds made to them. Uh, and I just, yeah. just, just, just thinking, uh, Ian, if you can get that train to come to Oxford on Saturday next week, uh, we all we've, we've got that photo walk with uh, Graham of the Sunday 16 podcast and Nasu Hussain and lots of people. So that's on the, what's that? That's the 8th, 8th of February. So it's coming up. So um, yeah, see if you can get that line, the, the train off that off your line in the botanical gardens and onto the main line and uh, head awesome. up to Oxford. That's awesome. All right, moving along. Uh, from Roadrunner. <laughs> I think this person actually gives their name and we'll read it at the end, but it just says from Roadrunner. So I'm just going to go with Roadrunner. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Uh, subject KMZ FT2. High Classic Lenses Team. Your 2019 year end episode gave me some 
Par- I almost said par- paranormal gas, but it's panorama gas. <laughs> <laughs> paranormal gas would be kind of interesting. Um, based on Johnny's enthusiasm, I picked up a KMZ FT2, you bastard. Don't go buy this camera, people, until I get another one. So just stop. Uh, I'm already enamored with it. I've shot a few rolls of film, and the results turned out much better than I expected. To be fair, I was expecting the worst because it looks and handles nothing like any other camera. It also requires a special film respooling and loading process and has a risk of light leaks. Um, I'm excited thinking of the unique shot opportunities. My question is for Johnny, obviously. Do you have a good technique for removing the spools from the camera? They fit snugly. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be any easy method for grasping them and pulling them out. I've been pinching the fringe of, I like to pinch the fringe too. I've been pinching the fringe of the light blocking material. <laughs> Sorry. God, I've been thinking about pinch fringe pinching all weekend. That's the problem. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, light blocking, uh, and of the light blocking spool, this seems like a sketchy technique that will eventually result in tearing the material away from the spool. If I'm missing something, uh, I'm hoping you have a more robust method. Oh, there's so many words in this paragraph that just make me want to laugh. Um, so I know exactly what you're talking about, uh, because I also pinched the fringe on my spools uh in my camera and have pulled little bits of them off so i've done this myself um i actually (laughs) (laughs) stop it Barry. you're the worst um so i actually i think i've come up with a technique for this because i yes i have experienced the same thing and those little bastards are in there they do not want to come out um i was even thinking of like putting a little like piece of tape on there so I could grasp the tape to pull them out, but that's going to cause problems. So what I think I have uh, come to the understanding of is if you take the cartridges so that the port, the, the point at the front, right where the, um, the fringe is, if you turn the cartridge like about 45 degrees so that that front fringy part is all the way at the, edge of the uh camera this is really hard to explain you guys but anyway if you turn the cartridges so that they're uh turning from facing to the back to facing out to the sides i think that the cartridges more or less just fall right out i think i think they come out easier anyway they're looser because yeah these things are they're really hard to get out um the other uh, the other method obviously would be bang that some bitch really hard on the table and they'll probably just fly out. It's again, this camera is not built like a camera. It is built like a handgun. And if anybody's ever handled a handgun, <laughs> you, you will know what I'm talking about because it's very uncamera. It's all like, it's all like, uh, you know, springs and screws and turns. And it just, it's, it's very strange and slides. It, it handles very oddly. So, um, I think that's the trick is you have to turn the cartridges to the side and then give it a good firm whack. And I think they'll pretty much come right out. So I think that's a trick. I think Steve roadrunner, Steve, I think that's the trick. I think there's something potentially really satisfying in that 
that you know a, a camera that you finished it and you you smack it on the desk and the and the film comes out. That that, that yeah, you. I always like want to be able to do that with a camera. Uh, it just it remind. I mean, I've never I've never handled a Tokarev, but they're very similar to like a uh, you know a Colt a forty five. And there's a lot of slamming involved with 45s too. I mean, putting the magazine in, you have to slam it in, and things slide out, and you push buttons, and things fall. I mean, it, to me, that's why it reminds me so much of a handgun. Just all the metal on metal sliding and everything. It's it's um, it's it's just a weird camera. It's like a camera that's just not a camera, uh, which is what I like about it too. So anyway, I, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think that's the trick, but I, there's a lot of like little tricks with this camera. It's deceptive because it's so simple, but I'm finding there's lots of like little tricks with this camera to make it, uh, function better. Like the one that I've now discovered is, um, that when you cock the lens, uh, it doesn't always want to lock. And then you end up with the lens suddenly swinging, you know, swinging and then basically making an exposure, thus ruining a frame. Um, but what I found is that if you cock this lens, I, I turn the uh, lever very slowly so I can actually hear it latch in securely. So go real slow when you're cocking it. And then also, I know this sounds goofy, but I, I hold the camera vertically when I'm cocking it. And I think for whatever reason, whatever reason, the latch mechanism engages better when the camera is held uh, vertically. So there. Two more tips. Okay. Just make you wonder how you find that kind of thing out. Uh, trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> trial and error. <laughs> it's a weird camera. It's just a weird camera. Okay, well, Thanks for your emails this week. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. As ever, we get some good emails, don't we? Don't we? Yeah. We so is this episode, what did you say about rainbows, Simon? You said... Uh, rainbows are funny things. Rainbows are funny things and pinching the fringe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. Pinch, pinching the fringe of funny rainbows. Pinching, there we go. See you, folks. Good night. That was it. <laughs> pinching the fringe of funny rainbows. Uh, and I think that's probably a good time to start to wind things up as well, seeing it's sunny in Chicago. Uh, so, uh, Perry, have you got any other other things you want to get off your chest while we're here? Nope. Johnny? What was it again? Pinching the fringe of sunny rainbows? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> rainbows are funny things pinching the fringe of funny oh, rainbows oh that was it funny rainbows that was it okay okay i'm just typing uh, it. Yeah. i should clarify for jorge um that the i think the version of the voigtlander 40 millimeter s uh, f2 is the sl the pancake not the the newest one i think is not as pancakey and not as sexy you want the one with the weird uh, close-up filter it's more like a scone uh, not the kind of scones that I eat, but sort of. Why you said scone and not scone? I, yeah, that's right. I do. What the hell? Isn't that the how it's supposed to be said? Well, there's a there's a debate that rages on that one. I'm definitely a scone person, but I think the Queen would would have scone, have a scone. Yeah, what kind of what kind of Brit are you? <laughs> I'm I'm sort of I'm almost in the north. Is it a Welshy thing? A Welshy thing versus a northern thing? No, they have Welsh cakes over there. Okay. Which are different to Gavin. Very nice, by the way. But there yeah. you go. 
You're going to be saying tomato and aluminum soon. This is what Brexit gets to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it all depends on the trade deal, doesn't it? So. <laughs> there you go. You won't have any choice. When you become the 51st state uh, and you get you get renamed Trumplandia in honor of <laughs> becoming the 51st state. Right. Um, okay. Well, let's uh, let's do coffee. Um, thank you very much for those people that are supporters uh, for. You know, uh, the the bills for uh, Podbean is just just is about to pop up on us. So uh, that's uh, thank you very much for your support there. And those people that uh, have done so, we've uh, had a few this week. Um, so Nigel Cliff was the first one on the list here, uh, and he also says uh, Ethan was a great listen. Yes, he was, um, and uh, so it was great to listen to on a long journey and made it less painful um i have a confession though i voted for the negative positives podcast in the sunny awards mm. that's cool everyone did yeah well <laughs> yeah, yeah i did yeah that's that's, that's good that's a fair point actually um yeah. well, some people voted for us became second so uh yeah um but um but yeah you've you've paid us off on that one so we won't hold it against you uh, nigel um then we've got gary clennan uh, and it uh, says, uh, please accept only if Simon promises never to talk, uh, never to mention the word Sony again. Um, just kidding, and keep up the good works. Well, yeah, I've already already gone wrong on that one. I, I did actually. I really tried to not say Sony today uh, when I was talking about using a digital camera, and I was like, no, no, I've got to, I've got, I've got to do it. But um, Johnny's the big Sony fan in in, in this on this podcast anyway. Yeah. So he's um, and many many times has basically told us that it's the best camera ever. That's Absolutely. right, isn't it, Johnny? Oh, I always say that. You know me. Yeah. So Gary Clennon goes by Calgary underscore street on Instagram. And he has recently threatened to block me on Instagram. (laughs) Why is that? Uh, Because he was telling me, oh, if only he could find a small M mount 35 1.4 other than the ZM or the Leica or the Voigtlander. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's too bad that those don't exist. And then a couple of uh, a couple days later, I messaged him and I was like, "Wait, wait, wait! You forgot about the MS Optical Apple Qualia 35 1.4." And uh, <laughs> I gave him a little gas for that, and he was like, "Don't send me any more messages. You're blocked now." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, next one is uh, Christopher J May. Uh, and- oh, yeah. And uh, he's uh, saying there, uh, it's been a while since I contributed here. Uh, my apologies, gents. Uh, <laughs> don't need to apologize. Um, but no, uh, yeah, li- life, life was busy and I um, had to catch up with the LFPP first. That's a large format photography podcast. Well done, Christopher. Um, uh, so, But working on catching up on here as well. So thank you very much, uh, Christopher. Um, and this next one is from Negative Positives. What? What? Yeah, I don't know if this is like being magnanimous, mag, magnanimous in in victory over us. I don't know, uh, but he's uh, he says he had no idea why I'm paying paying you money. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, when when you made me drink my lot, um, I'm 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 donating <laughs> donating to prove that I lived after it. So it's a it's a proof of life donation. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> I think Mike is still just not. He's just still has mixed feelings about the fact that he's even doing the coffee thing and uh, maybe he's just going to give it all away and <laughs> just pass it along but that could that could be right and yeah. this this gives us a dilemma now because i mean i'm when um sunday 16 uh, when they started to take uh, coffee donations um 
I sent I sent them a donation, um, and I was I was thinking, well, perhaps you might send it back. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and uh, so I'm now thinking, well, I'm, what do I do now? Uh, do I send do I send this one back? Is it rude? You know, is it so? Uh, so there you go. So uh, thank you very much, Mike. We'll try to work work out that uh, moral dilemma. Um, and uh, and then the final one, which came in today, uh, which is a regular uh, donation from Lawrence Dunn. Thank you very much, Lawrence. Really appreciate it. So um, thanks, everybody. That's thank it. Thank you. So, so that's 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 pretty much it. So uh, Perry, outside of the show, how can people keep up with you? Wait, wait, we're not going to do shout-outs? I thought Johnny had a ton. Did he? Oh, okay. We, I, 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 well, I have, I have one, which, up. yeah, which I do. I just could do it real quick um, because you just mentioned him, Christopher J. May, who I saw on, I guess it was Saturday. Um, and he brought in his really beautiful Corona 8x10 camera. Uh, ah, he, Corona. Yeah. Get it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very topical. <laughs> yeah. So no, he he brought it in, and we were talking about we were looking for some bits and pieces for it. But uh, beautiful camera. I mean, really beautiful camera. Uh, and he picked up a uh, Vintessa with the um, fifty millimeter Ultron, a a very well used but very well functional. As we were talking about earlier, um, sometimes the most used looking cameras are the best because they've been serving their owners well for a long time so he picked up a very very well used and well loved vintessa uh with the 50 millimeter f2 ultron so enjoy that and it was good to see you and and your wife and hopefully we'll see you guys again soon excellent so yeah um back over to perry um, uh shout outs yes Uh, shout outs as well sorry sorry i got a couple of really quick ones no worries no worries i'll be fast uh just a quick shout out first of all to graham and aid uh, of Sunny 16 and Rachel uh, for saying hi before we started recording uh, for having me on. That was a fun chat at 5 a.m. Hong Kong time. Um, and also a quick shout out from to my girlfriend for shooting with me again this week. Uh, she's she's really getting into this now and, and pushing me to shoot more. So since I mentioned her getting featured on Best Vintage Lens already, I guess now is a good time to actually share her Instagram handle. Uh, she's quite a private person, so don't like, I don't know, don't go spamming her with messages going like, I know who you are. Um, <laughs> but, but if you want to follow her on Instagram and see some really, really damn good street photography, uh, she is at, shit, wait, what's her handle? S L A U 317 on Instagram. And most of her shots are with a 35 Simicron version 4. Very nice. And congratulations. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Okay, so dare I say again, how can people follow you? Oh, uh, Perry G on Instagram. Just go there for now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how about you, Johnny? Uh, you can you can uh, find me at Central Camera Company in Chicago uh, every day but Sunday and Monday. Okay, and... Uh, any any places where we might be on Facebook? Uh, yes, we are, of course, on Facebook. Uh, visit the Facebook group for the Classic Lenses Podcast. Um, also visit the website for Classic Lenses Podcast where you can find all of the podcasts and all of the detailed notes for each episode with links, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and also over on Instagram um visit our instagram partner best vintage lens tag your photos with best vintage lens for a chance to be featured as we have proven today can happen 
to people right here that we know, right? Yeah. Uh, so make sure to do that. Um, and uh, did we mention YouTube? YouTube, you can you can watch the video simulcast of the podcast over on YouTube. Uh, it it seems, seems to be working again as well. Was we, oh really? Yeah, oh, okay, it, it's right. actually back up again. So that's that's good news. All right, so go watch the podcast over on YouTube. Um, and uh, is there what else is there? Is there something else? Email. Oh yeah, send us an email, which we've again proven that we do actually read. Uh, yeah. So emails to classiclensespodcast at gmail please, and we will read them. Excellent, and especially just, if they talk about fringe. Yes, well, it, or it's going to be fringing next, isn't it? Yes, but, um, Ooh, purple fringing. Oh, I was just going to say purple yeah. fringing. Well, I was I was regretting that as soon as I said it. Um, and uh, just as a point about our, our Facebook group, um, if you do join it, you will be faced with a question. Oh yeah, and. Uh, and it's, it's purely there because we only want people that are likely to engage in the group. That's the only reason that it's not a difficult question to answer. Um, yet so many people yeah, we, cannot manage it. We have like 50 requests to join, right? Without uh, the question answered. Yeah. And if yeah. you just write, okay, we will not accept you. Yeah, we're actually kind of jerks about this, so you yes, should just yes, you should just are. do it because you're you know if you want to be in the group, we're gonna you gotta you just have to do the but, thing because this is this is one of the things about Facebook groups. It's it and you know this is absolutely the case. It's not about size. Yeah, <laughs> you know? um, small engaged groups are far better than humongous <laughs> groups. Where yeah, which only them. happens with Facebook groups, but there it is. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we we like it that way, and we like the fact that you know we've got a very engaged group of people in that, and that's simply because we've only let people in that have engaged with us in, in some shape or form. Right. So right. Yep. Uh, so if you want to come along, and we we want you in there, we don't, we are, we're not trying to make it so you can't come in. We want you to come in, but do do answer the question in in some way. Yes, so, please. Uh, so that'll be good. We like our Facebook groups like we like our fringes, small and engaged. Really. I like the big ones. I just, <laughs> well, anyway, there you go. Well, uh, um, what else was it? Um, okay, so for, for me, uh, if you want to come along on a photo walk in Oxford, it's 11 o'clock. Somewhere in Oxford is 11 o'clock, which has actually been organised by the Sunday 16 podcast. Actually, they've got two photo books, but there's another one on the south coast as well. Uh, but I'm going to the one with Graham, which will be in Oxford on the 8th, 11 o'clock somewhere if you want more details on that if you just go to photowalk.me and you'll be able to find the details of that walk so there's two walks on that day but uh, this is the one that's marked down as sunday 16 and you don't have to turn up with an analog camera for that either uh as graham has said you know if you just want to come along come along come along um so uh, those of you that use classic lenses on digital you're going to be very very welcome at that walk so uh, so no excuses not to come along so, you know, Graham did say at the end of the last episode that he's got way too many people signed up already. So by advertising it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. More the, more the merrier. Um, and I'm sure there was something else I wanted to say. Oh, that was, that was your thing. Uh, I've, I've now, uh, I'm just about to double the range of uh, 3D printed lens caps. Uh, that wow. Um, so cool. if you 
head over to my eBay page, or if you just search for Exacta lens caps, uh, you will see my exquisite 3D um, printed lens caps. Um, and I'm just about to add to them uh, Pentacon 6 lens caps because I'm I'm just trying That's to awesome. work my way through the um, the harder to get hold of lens caps. Um, that there are yeah. out there that haven't been produced in their gazillions in, in China um, because it doesn't really make sense to do the tooling for a, for a kind of lens cap that probably is on about 300 people in the world want Right. Um, so I, I'm right. 3D printing them instead so uh, if you go to uh, uh, the links uh, you'll find uh, my, my link for my eBay shop uh, on in the show notes but also if you just uh, search for exact lens cap uh, then you should find it. In fact, I, I should make that available to the states as well. But it's just a postage issue there, of course. But there you go. But uh, if that's an option, then it, and it's there. Then it's up to you if you want to take that. So, um, and that's another thing. If you buy anything from my eBay shop, uh, and you're listening to this podcast, just say something like "I listen to the show" or "Send me a Tunnux caramel." Because as long as I can fit it in there without increasing the price of the postage, I will do. So, uh, so send me a note, and I'll hopefully send you a, a Tunnux caramel bar as well which has got to be worth buying from me or the, whatever the object is because you get the Tunnux for free um, so that's it uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, as Simon4 yeah that's it Simon4 that's Simon with F-O-R I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic uh, we all hang out in the Classic Lenses uh, podcast Facebook group and that's pretty much it for this week so I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and if you can be like Carl <laughs>